0: Our series here. We believe uh, we've we've been we've hit on uh, I believe you know in in uh, the God the Father Almighty right Creator of heaven and earth and we hit that middle section of the Apostles' Creed where it talks so much about Jesus Christ and uh, we finished that part up last week and this week uh, we're hitting on the part where it says I believe in the Holy Spirit I believe in the Holy Spirit so. Let's say the creed together out loud, even if you're at home there, maybe you're the only one, uh, but just say it out loud with us here. Let's say it out loud. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, from whence He shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. So that's the Apostles' Creed, and the way we've kind of approached this, as we know the Creed itself is not Scripture. But it summarizes what Scripture teaches are the, some of the core tenets of our Christian faith. And so we're using it as a launching point to uh, talk about some different uh, key beliefs in the Christian faith. So maybe you're watching online, maybe you're here in person, and you're kind of wondering what, what is, uh, you know, what are the beliefs of Christians? And uh, don't, don't believe what you read on social media necessarily, don't believe what you see in the movies. We're going right to the scriptures, to the source, okay? And so that you can know what Christians actually believe. So, uh, would it be helpful if we had the house lights for you guys taking notes? Yeah, would you mind? Um, I just noticed that some of you guys... Um, good use of your phone light, though, I saw. <laughs> um, well, it's, uh, you know, who is the Holy Spirit? So the way I'm going to approach this, I mean, there's, you talk about a large topic, the Holy Spirit. Okay, Um, but the way I, as I prayed about it, we're going to kind of structure this Is I'm going to spend a little bit talking about who is the Holy Spirit, but most of the time how we relate to him. Okay, so we're going to talk a little bit about who the Holy Spirit is, then we're going to talk about how we relate to him as believers, because that's that's a big part of our walk with God, is how we relate to the Holy Spirit, okay? And so... uh, Uh, This first part, who is the Holy Spirit? Well, this may sound like a master of the obvious, but he is God. He is God. And uh, as Christians, we don't believe in three gods. Um, Muslims think that we do, but we don't. We believe in one God um, expressed in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. All right? Uh, Three essences, one, one, um, one God. Three persons, one God, okay? It's hard for us to understand, but the Scriptures clearly uh, make that case for the way God is. So, He is God. Well, where can I show you that the Holy Spirit is God in the Scriptures? Um, One of the, I think, most clear places is in the book of Acts in chapter 5. So, if you have a Bible or you have your device with you, why don't you turn to Acts chapter 5 with me and let's read verses 3 and 4. Now, um, what, what uh, you may not be familiar with this passage, but um, there's a, a couple named Ananias and Sapphira, and they sold a piece of land. And they claimed that they gave all the proceeds to the church, but that was not the case. They lied about it. Now, it wasn't that God required them to give everything. It's just that they acted like they did, but they did it. They lied. Okay. Uh, There was a steep penalty for that, as you may recall. They both dropped dead. Okay, now, if we had some of that going on at church today, I think some people might actually fear God. Okay? Uh, You know, when stuff like that was happening, you're like, Woo! I'm not going to lie to God. I'm not going to pretend. I'm going to be real and honest. But let's take a look at these two verses here in that section of Acts chapter 5. It says, but Peter said... Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? Did you notice there how he said he lied to the Holy Spirit, right? Now, let's look at verse 4. While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you can have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. So the one verse says he lied to the Holy Spirit. The other one says he lied to God, i.e., that is, the Holy Spirit is God. Does that make sense? I think it's very clear from that those two verses, the Holy Spirit is God. We could go to many other places to see that the Holy Spirit exhibits attributes of deity, but we'll just go with that one, okay? It's very clear. The Holy Spirit is God, all right? Now, um, who is the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit is another helper or comforter, depending on the version of the Bible you use. Uh, it uses the word, uh, translates into helper or comforter, who is not just with us, but in us. That boggles my mind, that God would live in us, would inhabit us, would, another a word is indwell us, by the Holy Spirit, okay? And to To look at that, let's go to the Gospel of John. So turn with me to the Gospel of John, chapter 14. John chapter 14, verses 16 and 17. And listen to this. Jesus speaking, and he says, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, or other translations say comforter, to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth. So, So now we know that this helper or comforter is the Spirit of Truth. And my Bible has capital S, indicating that the translators realize that that's the Holy Spirit. Uh, It says, Even the Spirit of Truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, he's speaking to believers, you know him, for he dwells with you, and will be in you. So right now, he's like to the disciples at that time, because, you know, God, we're, we're looking backwards in time here, right? And at that time, the, the believers did not have the Spirit in them, indwelt by them permanently or whatever, but he was with them. And Jesus is saying, there's going to come a day when the Spirit of truth is going to be in you, right? So that wherever you go, you'll have the Spirit of God in you, right? And... Whereas at that time, it it isn't interesting. I don't know if you picked up on this fact, but verse 16, it says, he will give you another helper. Well, who is the current helper when we read this? Jesus. Jesus is the helper there. He's the one with them, right? The presence of God with them was Jesus then. And so he's saying there's going to be another helper, another one like, in a sense, like this helper, Jesus, but who will be in you so that wherever you go, it's like Jesus is there in you through the Holy Spirit. In fact, we know uh, that also this Holy Spirit is called the Spirit of Christ, right? So uh, you could say in a sense, well, wh- why are we called Christians? Little, little Christs, because we got the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ in us everywhere we go. Everywhere we go, um, we have the Spirit of Christ and the Holy Spirit in us. And so... The promise was that the, the Spirit would be poured out on God's people. That happened at Pentecost, right? When you look in the in the book of Acts, and the Lord poured out His Spirit there, right? And that, that a Scripture song we sang there, Acts 1-8, right in that time frame when all that was happening, right? Um, Jesus told the disciples to go and wait in that upper room, and He said, then I'll send my Spirit, and you will receive power, right, uh, to be my witnesses. Because they could not do what Jesus was going to ask them to do in their own power. And by the way, neither can you or I. You and I can, ne- can never live the Christian life without the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit. It's just virtually impossible. I mean, we could try. We can try to gut it out, and we often do. We do many things on our own power, uh, ministry in our own power. But think about this. Um, Would you rather cut down a tree with a sharp axe or a dull axe? I hope a sharp one, unless you just got a lot of time to waste and you want to build your arms up, okay? You want it to be sharp, right? And so I kind of liken, you know, trying to do the will of God and trying to do ministry that has an eternal effect without the Spirit's power as like trying to chop down a tree With a dull axe, you can get something done, but it's not going to be nearly as powerful and effective as if it was fully sharp, okay? And we need to know that. We need to realize that. You know, when Jesus said in John 15, apart from me, you can do nothing, he really meant that. He meant you can really do nothing of significance or in lasting, impactful value if you don't do it with my power, okay? And that's what we're... Uh, Faced with today, that Greek word for uh, helper is paraclete or parakletos. All right, and it that form uh, that word means basically uh, that he is a one called alongside of another. A paraclete is somebody who's called alongside you, and a secondary notion of this word has to do with the purpose of being called alongside, which is to help or counsel. Right to counsel one or to support us, uh, support the one who needs it. And how about you? But I need help, all right? And maybe you said, well, pastor, we already knew that. We knew you needed help, okay? But, but you do too, okay? <laughs> we need the Holy Spirit. We need his help. And uh, he's been given to every believer as a helper, as a comforter, and as a counselor. And I think, and I'll just speak for myself, I am not always dialed into that. I sometimes just do things without, without asking for God's power, without asking for God's help, without asking for his direction. That's our humanity, uh, our flesh, and God knows that, and He He understands that, but, but He wants us when we do that to repent of that and realize we can't do anything without Him. Without His anything effective. All right? I think the key word is effective here. Um, we only got one shot down here. We, you know, there's, reincarnation is a lie, okay? You're not going to come back recycled better than what you were now, okay? It's not happening, okay? The Scripture tells us in Hebrews chapter 9, it is appointed for man to die once, and then comes judgment, all right? There's nothing in between there. There's nothing about being recycled back, okay, uh, anything. And so we got one shot. And as believers, if we are still here, if you and I are still drawing breath today, God is not done with you. Okay? All right, so if you're still here, you're a believer, He's got work for you to do. And He wants you to do it in His power. And He he wants you and I to understand how we relate to the Holy Spirit. Because it's a huge part of how God wants to do ministry in us and through us, okay? And so this this comforter, counselor, helper, the Holy Spirit, right? Um, God has given him as a gift to us, all right? What a gift, and we're going to talk about that in a few. But let's move on. I mean, we could talk about, you know, how the Holy Spirit's involved in creation, and we could talk about how the Holy Spirit was involved in in speaking the Word of God to the prophets in the Old Testament, all this stuff. But you can look that up, all right? I really want to get to, and this is what I think God's laid on my heart, is to talk about how we relate to the Holy Spirit, all right? So let's talk about that. There's three things, and I'll just give you the three ahead of time, and then I'll, we'll, we'll um, drill down on them. The first one is do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Second one is do not quench the Holy Spirit. And the third one is seek to be filled with the Holy Spirit. So don't grieve, don't quench. So we got two negatives, two negative commands, and one positive, seek to be filled. All right, so we're going to unpack all that the rest of the time. Now, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Uh, why don't you find your way to Ephesians chapter 4 in verse 25, because that's where we find that phrase. Ephesians 4, 25 to 32. I'll read the passage here. It says, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger, and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal. But rather, let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Verse 29, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for the building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who fear. Now, verse 30 is the one we're focusing in on. It says, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. In the last verse, 32, be kind to one another, tender hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. I don't know about you, but when I read that passage and I come up on that that verse 30, and it says, um, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. It just seems out of place when I first read it because he's talking about all these things that have to do with relationships. And to not be angry, and, you know, or in your sin, don't be angry, and don't let the sun go down on your anger. And it says, don't steal any longer. Um, and if you know how the, the letter is, is structured to the Ephesians, the first three chapters are all about who we are in Christ, what God has given us in Christ, our position in Him, what He's gifted us with and given us. And then chapters 4, 5, and 6 in Ephesians are about living it out. In other words, now that you have been put in Christ, and you're in Christ, you're a Christian, now how does that look in your relationships? How is that to be lived out? It's not just to be believed, but to lived out. be lived out. And so, in this section and in chapter four, he starts talking about these relationships, and also in chapter five about marriage and, and husbands and wives and children and how they relate to each other. But right here, in the midst of it, he says, don't grieve the spirit. And this is what I think why he's saying that. He's saying basically, you know what grieves the spirit is when you don't love the people around you. When you're not loving like Christ to your family, let's put it there, to those who you work with, right? Are you holding withholding? Um, forgiveness? And are you angry and sinning in your anger? Are you Do you have malice, it says? Uh, are you slandering others? You know, are you being kind? Are you being tender-hearted, right? And so he's saying, listen, what really grieves the Holy Spirit and therefore grieves God is when we are not living out our relationships and loving each other and treating each other the way that we should be. As spirit-filled Christians, as Christians, okay. And so, we're commanded there to not grieve the Holy Spirit. Notice how he says, "By whom you were sealed for the day of redemption." If you read, if you go four or backwards in Ephesians chapter one, verses thirteen and fourteen, he talks about how we are sealed with the Spirit. Okay, it's almost like the, the Spirit has been given to us as a seal that um, you know that uh, is going to be. Um, you know, when, when, when Christ comes back, it's almost like the, the seal is on us that we are His and He's coming back to claim His own, that kind of thing. Uh, he's going to come and redeem us, that bring that redemption to full closure. Okay? Our adoption will be complete, if you will, okay? As children of God. We are children of God, but there's also a future language to that, that we will, that adoption will be completed when Christ comes back. And that Spirit putting His seal on us uh, is, is evidence of that. Okay. Now, uh, how do we relate to the Holy Spirit? Do not grieve the Holy Spirit is one. Well, the second thing here is do not quench the Holy Spirit. Do not quench the Holy Spirit. And I think the sense of it is here, we see this in First Thessalonians chapter 5. So, again, why don't you turn there with me, First Thessalonians chapter 5. Sixteen to 22, and we will take a look here. This is towards the end of the letter, and he starts giving these little I call them staccato commands. You know, staccato when you're playing piano, these little short bits, right, right? Short little notes. Um, I'm probably butchering that description because I know nothing about music, um, but they're like short notes, quick notes, right? So he get, fires off these quick commands. Um, He says, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. Do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast to what is good, abstain from every form of evil. It's like boom, 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 like wow, all this stuff, all these commands. But that one in in verse 19, do not quench the spirit, I think goes with verses 20 and 21, which says, do not despise prophecies. But test everything, hold fast to what is good. And so, um, why would he say that? So I think, given when you put verses 19 and 20 and 21 together as kind of a package, is that the New Testament expression of this gift of prophecy, whatever that is, and I don't, I don't really know how to describe that. There's a lot of disagreement on it. It's not like I'm trying to be politically correct. I'm just say, I just don't know how it works it could be a forthtelling of the Word of God that God just lays something on you and just, boom, you put it out there. It's kind of like people say it's like a prophetic word. It's like somebody's like, God is really speaking in this moment, you know, whether it's through His Word or whatever. Um, some believe that the New Testament gift of prophecy could also be um, in the mix with those, like the where the scriptures talks about like a word of knowledge or something too, where it's some kind of fitting with, where maybe God gives you a word that, you want to share with somebody and um, you know, that kind of thing. But what I would say is this, and again, we we don't have time to really talk about the new Testament gift of prophecy here in this, because that's not the goal of the message. I do think the gift of prophecy in the new Testament is different than prophets in the old Testament. I think the, the prophecy in the old Testament was infallible. That, those prophets were spoken to, God was speaking directly through them, and their very words were infallible because they would say, thus saith the Lord. And boom, what came after that was exactly God's words. And so I do not think the gift of, again, my opinion, I do not think the gift of prophecy um, has that level of infallibility to it in the New Testament. I think it, you know, because we are, still have our flesh, sometimes our flesh can get mixed in with the Spirit. And sometimes when somebody gives a word, uh, some kind of prophetic word, maybe it could be true and part of it could be not right on, you know. And so, again, just my, just my take, all right. Um, and so I've already tipped my hand, if you didn't know that, that I believe all the gifts are in operation today, when the, the spiritual gifts, I don't think, I'm not a person that believes that some of those gifts have gone to the wayside. Um, you know, that we're in a different age now where some of these gifts are not needed. Um, I'm not that kind of, I'm not that person. I, I believe they're all in operation. Now, I've not experienced uh, the gift of tongues or any of those things, but I think God can use those. Um, you know, and I, I think he's given us instructions how they are to be used, if they are used, all that. And so, just so you know, because you may not have known where I come from on that. There's different, there's loving believers that, that, that believe they have ceased or whatever. I'm just not one of them. So, I think if, if I were to say it this way, it would be um, this, uh, wait a minute. Oh, yes. I knew that. Thank you. Uh, how did he know that? Charlie just spoke to me when I said the first service. Yeah, that's it. (laughs) I was going to say, was that a prophetic word? No. Um, But the idea of not despising the supernatural work of the Spirit, I think what was happening in that church was potentially they were poo-pooing this gift of prophecy, and they were just throwing the baby out with the bathwater. In other words, we use that to say is, well, just because some people are misusing it doesn't mean that it doesn't actually happen and have value to the body of Christ, okay? And so I I think what he's saying is don't quench the Holy Spirit uh, equals despising the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit. And so that's what I think was happening there in 1 Thessalonians, okay? And so um, I don't know about you, but I'm not going to claim I know how God works everything out. I don't know how all these gifts work. Because, by the way, I don't see anywhere in Scripture where we have a great definition or like a handbook on how they all work. (laughs) Nor do I... I I don't even know that we have an exhaustive list of all the gifts. Okay? Um, I'm just saying. And so... um, But I just think that probably because the spiritual realm is we're just... We don't know how it works, so we're afraid of that. We're afraid of what we don't understand. But... I don't think, you know, if God's given gifts to the church for the building up of the body, then we shouldn't be afraid of that, however he wants to use them, okay? So, you know, don't douse the fire of the Spirit if he's doing something. But what Paul does say in 1 Thessalonians there, he says, don't despise the prophecies, but test everything. Hold on to what's good. In other words, okay, so maybe part of some prophetic word or prophecy, some of it's good, some of it's bad you've got to have the spirit of discernment to throw out the bad and keep the good. That's what he's saying. Okay, and so how do we know what's good or bad? Well, we've got to know what the Word says because God's not going to speak against what he's already said. You see? That's how you you evaluate some of those things that people say uh, is of the Lord, is does it it contradict what Scripture has said and, and is saying, okay? Now, Another way that we can quench the Holy Spirit, and I wonder if you've thought about this, is by neglecting the use of your spiritual gifts. Neglecting the use of the spiritual gifts. So every believer has been given upon uh, salvation uh, spiritual, a spiritual gift or gifts. all right. And there are the Scripture tells us they're for, for the building up of the church. They're for the benefit of the body of Christ. That's why they're there. And Corinthians gives us the picture of a body, right? And he's saying, you know, like the different gifts are like the different parts of the body, right? Uh, And all of the gifts, just like all the parts of our body, are necessary, right? Uh, I, for all people, know that I need two good knees, right? Because I had that knee replaced. I need both of them working. Seriously, you know? Uh, and, And we want all of our parts working. And so I just want you to know that you... As a, as a vital member of this church, or just that, you are vital. Your gifts are needed, okay? And I don't care what your age is. We got people in this church from 8 to 88, probably, okay? And like I said before, if you're still here and you're breathing, God wants to use you, and he wants you to use your gifts, okay, for the benefit of the body. Now, um, where am I getting this? Because it doesn't really say that in that Thessalonians passage. Um, now, um, I'm going to go two places here. Go to 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 6. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 6. Paul writes to Timothy, his child in the faith. He says, for this reason, I remind you Timothy, to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Isn't that interesting? So somehow, and we'll read this in, my, in the other verse I'm going to tell you to go to here in a second, but somehow, Timothy, young pastor Timothy, received some kind of spiritual gift through the laying on of hands, and uh, Paul's telling him, hey, you know that gift that God gave you, that spiritual gift, you need to develop that. You need to use that. You need, and that's what it means, the fan in the flame. It's kind of use that thing. You develop it. Okay? For the glory of God. And then look in First Timothy. So go back one book. First Timothy four fourteen. It says, again, he's again, Paul writing to Timothy, right? He says, do not neglect the gift you have. Which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders, elders lay their hands on you. Again, he's like saying, use that gift, Timothy. Right? Don't neglect using it. So, if you put those two things together, those two verses, I think we can infer that neglecting to fan into the flame the gift that God has given us is a form of quenching the spirit. The spirit wants to use us to use the gift that he's imparted to us. Not to sit on our hands and not use it. That's quenching the spirit. Okay? I'll give you a bonus one here. We'll read about this in Ephesians 5. I, I thought of this after the fact uh, in the first service. But another way we can quench the Spirit is by not is by, is like pushing down our emotions when the Holy Spirit is trying to do something in us. Okay? Um, and I'm not saying that this. Uh, walking in the Spirit is all about emotions, or whatever. But I I do tell you that at times He wants to do something in us. He might even want to heal a part of our hearts, and in order to do that, He needs us to weep, or um, to to uh, to praise, okay, uh, to shout for joy, whatever it might be. I mean, I I see that in the Scriptures all over the place, and some of that one of the passages we're going to look at there in Colossians and in Ephesians talks about. Uh, uh, singing to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs is a result of being filled with the Spirit. And so I guess what I'm saying is if the Holy Spirit is doing something in you and you need to cry, cry. If He's welling your heart with tears, it's okay. Uh, Nobody's going to think anything if it happens right here. Okay? Or you want to shout out an amen because God's doing something. That's fine. Okay? Nobody's going to think twice about it here because we realize that that's part of what the Spirit is doing. Uh, I remember the first time, I'm not going to go into a lot of detail, but I was at a pastor's conference and and I never felt anything like, uh, Just I was like, why am I crying? I have no idea why I'm crying. I don't know why. I don't want to cry, but I'm crying. It was just like, you know, and that was the... the, the and my thinking was that the spirit of God was trying to do something to my life and humble me, uh, seek His face. I don't know, but I just know that that's the way He works with me. But nor do nor should I should you think that you have to try to reproduce those experiences that others have in your own life. You know what I mean? We're not looking to to compete with each other in spiritual experiences, all right? Or think that because. Crying means this equals the Spirit's work, not necessarily. Okay? So I'm just saying, but that could be a way we could we could quench the Spirit is if he's trying to get us to feel something. Okay? Alright, now. So we we've hit on this uh you know the, the first thing where we talk about don't don't grieve the Holy Spirit, and now we've talked about don't quench the Holy Spirit. Now we're going to get to the positive side of the equation here, which is we need to um, we need to uh, seek to be filled with the Spirit. This is something we need to go after. Okay. Now, some of you guys, um, we're, you might—we come from probably all different kinds of uh, Christian faith backgrounds. If you're from a Christian background, and you know, um, when you hear the phrase "filled with the Spirit," you start running for the hills. You're like. It's going to get crazy around here. I'm not going to do that, you know. And I'm just saying, uh, you you probably got the wrong idea, okay? Um, But let's talk about this. Let's go into Ephesians chapter 5, verses 18 to 21, where it actually uses that phrase. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. But be filled with the Spirit. Verse 19, addressing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Um, I think those verses that come after verse 18 are like expressions or evidences of the filling of the Spirit. But this word, uh, to be filled with the Spirit, is not a one-time thing. This is supposed to be an ongoing thing because, um, from my understanding, in that word in the Greek, it means to, to be continually filled. To, to be continually filled or be being filled. And so, this idea that it's not a one, one and done thing, it's something that we must continually seek to do to be filled by, and what others have called to be controlled by, or yielded to the Spirit. In other words, have your way. My life is yours, Spirit of God. Fill me. Use me. And, and that kind of an attitude, that kind of a posture uh, is to be had when we're talking about being filled with the Spirit. So, this under this heading here, this number three, seek to be filled with the Spirit. Is that something that you seek? Do you seek to be filled with the Spirit? Now, Granted, every believer, every Christian has the Spirit in them. We already talked about that, right? That the Spirit dwells in every Christian. Some have described this filling as, okay, the Spirit is all in you, but does He have all of you? Are you yielded to Him? Is it, have your way, whatever you want to do, Lord? Not just circumstantially, but like right now. Have your way in me, God. What do you want to do? Fill me. Use me. That kind of thing. I read the, 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 the next verse here. I want to show you. Um, we're, we're still staying on here, this being uh, seek to fill me with the Spirit. In Luke chapter 11, verse 13, uh, Jesus is talking about how an earthly father, uh, a good father on the earth wants to give good gifts to their kids, right? Right? Listen to what he says. he says, verse 11, Luke chapter 11, excuse me, Luke 11, verse 13. Nope, that's not true. Luke eleven eleven, and then we're going to go on to 13, sorry. <laughs> what father among you, he says, if a son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Well, that's just, that's just a bad dad, isn't it? That's a bad parent, you know, right? Your, care, your, your kid wants a fish and you give him a snake. Or if he asks for an egg, we will give him a scorpion? No. Right? He says, he's speaking kind of rhetorically here. He says, of course not. If then you who are evil, like you know, you he's like, hey, you know, you you guys are messed up, and even you do it. You do that. You know, you you give, you want to give good gifts to your kid. How, How so know how to give good gifts to your children? How much more will the heavenly father, listen, give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? When I read that, I was like, what? Because in my mind, okay, I've got the Spirit, which I do, and you do too if you're a Christian. But I think what he's asking is experience the Spirit to the fullness that God wants us to have Him, to experience Him in our lives. And I don't know what that's going to mean for you, okay? I don't think we have a prescription for that. I don't think we really know what that is. But just saying, God, I want to know the Spirit's fullness in my life uh, to the degree, whatever that is. It's kind of like the unknown prayer. I don't know what I'm really praying for, except for I, I know that I, I want the Holy Spirit to be working in my life and to have full access, in a sense, to my heart and my mind, okay? So, so part of this uh, seeking to be filled with the Spirit is we need to ask and desire it. We need to ask for the being filled with the Spirit, and we need to desire it. Isn't that the desire that was being expressed when you hear in the Psalms, in in chapter 42? Psalm 42, 1 and 2, listen to this. It says, as a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Don't you hear in that? God, I want you. I want to experience the living God in my life and in my walk with Jesus. I desire it. I want it. It's like I can't get enough, right? I came out of my physical therapy appointment one day. Um, and I, I was like, man, i got to have something to drink. I was like, of course. I mean, the battery's dead. (laughs) All right, sorry, we're back. All right, and I was at a physical therapy appointment, dying of thirst. I wasn't dying, but I thought I was. I was like, I gotta have something to drink. So I went and I'm like, I got to get one of those cold brew coffees, you know. Worst thing to do if you've got a heart problem, you know. I came in here, I was like, eh, but I, it satisfied my thirst. I was like, I got to have it, you know. And I know that's kind of a stupid example, but we got to have God. We got to have the Spirit working in our lives, and, and we need to express our desire for that. Maybe you're not there. Maybe your prayer is, God, I want to desire more of you. Start there, but if you're already there, ask Him to fill you and say, God, I want to know You more, and I want whatever You want me to have in the Spirit. I want to, I want to know what it is, and I want to experience, and I want to use it for Your glory. It's a desire. So ask for this. This is something we need to ask, you know, because it says, "Be continually filled." This is something we need to ask for all the time. Okay, God, fill me with Your Spirit. Let me let me know You more deeply. Let me experience Your work in my life. All right. Now, another way, though, we not only need to ask for this, but we need to meditate on God's Word because there is a link between being filled with the Word of God and also being filled with the Spirit. Did you know that? There's a link. Now, got to get your Bible study hats on here for a second, okay? Um, I wish I had like parallel versions up here. I should have done this, but, uh, or parallel verses. But Ephesians 5, you know, that was 18 and 19 we read before. I'll remind you of what it says. Ephesians five eighteen says, Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Now listen to verse 19, the one right after. It says, addressing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Was just this joy, this singing, is, is a byproduct of being filled with the Spirit, right? Okay, hold right there. Now, another letter that was written by Paul from prison, was written to a different church, but has a lot of similar things in it that Ephesians does, is the book of Colossians. And so you see a lot of the same things talked about. But listen to what he says in Colosh, to the Colossians where he's talking about this same, it's kind of the same idea. He says, Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another with all wisdom. Listen now, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Whoa, flashback. Same thing as in Ephesians, right? Except for what's the difference? Well, in the one it says, be filled with the Spirit before that. In the other one it says, let the Word of Christ richly dwell within you. I think they're one and the same. Like, if you want to be filled with the Spirit, you better be full of the Word of God. Okay? Be filled with the Word of God. Let the Word of Christ richly dwell within you. Bible intake. Not just for information's sake, but for transformation's sake. Right? We want to study the Word of God because we want to know what, what God wants for us, how to be faithful to Him, not just to, you know, win the Bible bowl quiz or something, right? I don't care. We don't care if we can do that. Well, what God cares about is when He shows you something in the Scripture, are you taking action, right? It's not just for information. But you don't even know what to obey if you don't know. Like, you don't know what you don't know. Does that make sense? I mean, that's master of the office. You don't know what you know, so you, you better get in it and know it, right? That's why we've got to be in the Word. Regular intake and meditating on it, which is thinking about it, how it applies to our lives. And it doesn't stop there, right? If we want to be, seek to be filled with the Spirit, we're not just desiring it and asking for it, and we're not just meditating on God's Word, and filling our hearts with the Word of Christ, but we're also obeying it. We're obeying it. Listen to this. In the verses I'm going to share with you right now, there is a direct link between your obedience and your intimacy with God. Because that's really, in a sense, a byproduct of being filled with the Spirit is an intimacy, a closeness with God. Listen, John 14, verse 22 and 23. John 14, 22 and 23 says, Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord... How is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And my Father will love him. And we will come to him and make our home with him. Now, if somebody's going to come up and live in your house, I call that intimacy. Okay? They're going to come and move in. You better be good friends. Right? or else there's going to be a quick eviction, right? So, Jesus is saying, if you obey my word, then uh, you keep my word, my Father will love you, and we will come to live and make our home with you. There is an intimacy that comes from obedience. So, we need the Spirit's power in our life to do whatever it is God's calling us to do, as individuals and as a church. We need to desire to be filled with the Spirit. We need to fill our lives with the Word of God so we can, and then we need to act on it, right? I think it would be far better than read through your Bible plan that gets you through the whole Bible in a year, than spend your time on one verse in that week and obeying it. I, I'm not against Bible plans. I promoted them in the past. I'm for, I'm for it. I'm for reading your Bible. But what's important is what are we doing with it, okay? What is God speaking to you in that Bible study? What is he wanting to do in your heart? And when you, when you it, it's, it's like, I'm not a, I've never been sailing, but I would imagine it like this. If the Spirit's wind is blowing in your life, set sail he's showing you something, ride the wave, baby. Act on it, okay? Act on it. That's what we need to do. That's, that's obedience, right? That's obedience. He's showing me something. He wants me to act on it. He wants me to go after that thing. Spend time, you know, learning that thing that God's trying to teach you, you know, Pour over the Scriptures. Look at other Scriptures that talk about the same thing. you gotta, you got to hop on it. A part of being filled with the Spirit is, is obedience. It is obedience. Um, I, I just want to share with you guys uh, here in closing something, you know, Spurgeon, who was a preacher there in London many, many years ago, he was speaking on that Luke eleven thirteen. That Luke eleven thirteen 13 where... Where Jesus said, you know, about the Father giving good gifts of children, how will, how will not your Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? Okay. And I know, I know that the disciples did not have the Spirit in them at that time. It's poured out at Pentecost. I know that. But I'm telling you, there's plenty of other places where we're taught to seek God. And asking God to fill us with His Spirit. If that's, if that's the same thing as asking God for His Spirit, then I'm asking. Okay? How can it be wrong to ask that God would fill us and control us and use us with the power of the Spirit? That's what we want, right? So, so Spurgeon says about that Luke eleven thirteen. 13, he says, There is no doubt the Holy Spirit is a good thing. And whenever we ask for Him, for His divine presence and influence, rest assured, God will give it. Isn't that, that's kind of like the verses that talk about, hey, if you ask anything according to God's will, he's going to do it. Well, is it God's will for you to be filled with the Spirit? Yes, it is. We're commanded in Ephesians 5. Then he's going to do it if you ask it. He's going to do it if you desire it. But sometimes we don't. We think we can do it all, the ministry and living for God sometimes. And I've done this. I just confess, I've done this. Right, where I just think, hey, I'm going to think it through I'm going, to, and, you know, I'm going to think it through. I'm going to work it out. I'm going to gut it out, ministry. I'm going to do this thing. I'm going to preach on my own power. I'm going, to, I'm going to do this. craft this great, beautiful message. You know? and, it, it, and it doesn't do anything. But there would be times where I could tell the Spirit was filling me, and I could have said Mary had a little lamb, and people would bow and receive Jesus. Not because it had anything to do with Greg, but it had everything to do with God and yieldedness and desire to want to be used and to be filled. And I'm just saying, you know, we got to get there as believers. I'm I'm preaching to myself here, okay? We need to ask for God's power and whatever He wants to do in us so that we can actually do the works that this little outpost of the gospel of kingdom was sent here to do. The numbers don't matter, you guys. I got over that probably 15 years ago. Although sometimes Satan gets in there. I'll just be honest. It's not about how many people are here. Do we want to reach people? Yes. Would I love to see every chair filled in the gospel? Yes, but you know what? I'm not in control of that. What we need is every one of us Asking the Holy Spirit to fill us and to use us wherever He has put us. Okay, um, I I really appreciated uh, Beth Schimer um, uh, initiating uh, the the uh, connecting with the the F gathering conference for the ladies, and uh, I, I joked there off and on when I announced the 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 conference that I was going to come and put my wig on so I could watch the conference with the ladies, you know? Well, the Friday night, Linda and I were watching from home, so I, Linda looked at me, she was like, you got your wig on, don't you? Because you're watching in on the ladies' conference. I'm like, yeah, I guess I do. And I was getting a lot out of it, all right? But one thing, and I didn't get to watch a lot of it Saturday, but one thing one of the speakers said really got me, and that was, she was talking about, um, I think it was in the context of revival. And, and wanting to see God work in our land and so on. I might be wrong, but because i just walking by the couch and I heard this, okay? Um, was, she was talking about getting on your knees and drawing a circle around you and just saying, you know what? You want revival to happen? Ask for God to make it happen in that circle. In other words, you know, oh, fine, pray for your nation, but you better start praying for yourself because maybe there's some confessing that needs to be had right now. Maybe you need to get right with God right now. So start right there. Get on your knees, right? And and ask God, revive me, right? Revive me, and and the Spirit of God will do that. I mean, in other words, you know, Satan doesn't want that to to happen, but God does. And if you ask him to do it, he's going to do it because that's his will. He wants to revive you. He wants to fill you. That's an easy, that's a slam dunk answer to prayer, okay? But our heart's got to be there to want to receive it. And so Spurgeon goes on. And uh, he talks about, you know, that idea of kind of revival. He says, the Holy, the Holy Ghost is set forth to us under the emblem, or we would say probably the image of a fire, right? Sometimes in the, Holy, in the in scripture we see the image given to the Holy Spirit of fire, right? And he says... And in this capacity, he kindles enthusiasm of spirit and burning zeal in the hearts of God's people. And so he says, oh, that we had this fire. It has to be had, he says. The spirit of God will come in answer to our cries. He will come and fire the church and each individual member of it. That's just like, I'm like, yeah, let's go, man. Let's do it. And so, and it just—it just, I guess what I'm saying here is this, that this is on the heart of God, that the people of God would desire his spirit to be working in their lives. Right? That we wouldn't quench the spirit, we wouldn't grieve the spirit, and we would seek to be filled with the spirit. Just like we wouldn't think of chopping down a tree with a dull saw, or adults acts, we shouldn't think that we're going to have a, we're we're not we're not going to be as effective as we could be if we're not filled with the Spirit. And I'm 56, I think. I can't, you know, it gets so bad. Linda and I look at each other like sometimes we're talking about our ages. Like I'm 56 this year. maybe that's a sign that there's a problem. I don't really know, but anyway, it's. I think you know what. Um I'm kind of like where if I'm going to put energy into something now because I have less than I used to I want it to count. Right? And so to make it count, we need the spirit to work. When Jesus said in John 15, you know when he says apart from me you can do nothing, he actually meant that. We got to remain connected to the vine. We got to we got to have that fellowship And that's where I want to leave you with this one verse. I promise you, this is it. 2 Corinthians, the very last verse in 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians 13, 14 says, The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. He closes that letter with that Trinitarian statement saying, I hope you experience the grace of Jesus. I hope you know the love of God the Father. And I hope you know this communion and fellowship of the Holy Spirit. And that's what we're talking about today. We're talking about a relationship to the Holy Spirit. Paul calls it the fellowship of the Spirit. We need that. We need to grow in it. And even though we don't maybe know how it works, I do know, and we pointed out some scriptures, that he de- part of it is a desire and an asking, part of it is a, a filling with the word, and part of it is a stepping out in obedience. So we know that much. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your wonderful word, and thank you for your spirit. Spirit of the living God amazing, living in us. Fill us, Holy Spirit. Let us, make us thirsty for you. Make us thirsty for you. Let us desire you and to be yielded to you, to want to be controlled by you. And let the fruit of the Spirit Just come out of us. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. And that's there when we're filled with the Spirit. Lord, do a work in our hearts, do a work in our church, not for us, but for you. So that you'd be glorified, so that your kingdom would be advanced, so that people would would be drawn to you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.